Hello everyone and welcome to Golden Walkman Magazine. My name is David Walker, the editor, and I am bringing you the themed issue for August 2020. Uh, this issue's theme is Metamorphosis, and it is done by the guest editor Felicia Connolly. And she chose actually two pieces of drama. One is a monologue, and the other is a play. So I really hope you enjoy that. This centers around the theme of metamorphosis. Um, and let's get straight into it. Here you are, the themed issue for August 2020. Hope you enjoy it. My name is Maximilian Gill, and I wrote the monologue, The Trouble with Mustard Greens. The theme for this issue is metamorphosis, and in this monologue, I was reflecting upon the changes that immigrants undergo when they try to integrate into the culture of an adopted home, in this case, an Indian family's integration into American culture. Usually, the person ends up being a mix of both cultures, though there can be a tension within the person, particularly when a person is young and trying to fit into an American peer group, while dealing with the pressures of one's parents to retain the markers of the homeland culture. This is the uneasy position that Jaspreet in my monologue is in. Food is one of the dominant markers of culture, and I thought it would be a good way to exemplify Jaspreet's state, her rejection and eventual acceptance of her mother's food and culture. It's an experience that I think is fairly universal to immigrants from a variety of cultures. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy the monologue. The Trouble with Mustard Greens, performed by Shubhra Prakash, written by Maximilian Singh Gill. Come on, Mom. If we don't get out of here, we'll never make it in time. Tonight's movie night, and she's in there cooking. Like my dad can't look after himself for once. In three decades, I haven't seen that man so much as boil an egg, and she wonders why I never went for any Indian guys. It's not like a Bollywood film where you can just show up whenever you like. We need to watch it from the beginning or we won't know what's going on. Okay, fine, 10 more minutes. No, that's okay, I'll wait out here. If I go in the kitchen, She'll want me to help. I gave up on that a long time ago. It's just another path to frustration for both of us. Every couple of weeks, I drive out here from the city so we can have our mother-daughter time. That's what movie night's all about. She always picks something romantic and insipid. I just go with it. Otherwise, we'd have to talk to each other and that never goes well. No, Mom, you don't need to put aside any extra for me. I know what she's making. I can smell it from here. We call it sarsoda sag and makedi roti in our language. I guess in English you'd say um, spicy stewed greens served with flat corn cakes. Punjabis think of it as comfort food, but um, comfort is the last thing it ever brought me. When I was a kid, it made me gag. My mother used to make me ham and cheese sandwiches to take for lunch at school. That was her one concession to American food. 
and then I would have to come home to a house stinking with the heavy, pungent odor of cooking spinach. I wanted hamburgers, pizza, macaroni and cheese, the kind of dinner the normal American kids got to eat. But at home, I had to suffer through lentils, cauliflowers, chickpeas, and worst of all, the stewed greens. When she's done with them, the greens have the consistency, look, and the taste of mushy spinach. And what kind of a kid likes mushy spinach? I know the recipe by heart. My mother's had me make it with her many times. That's part of the curse of being an Indian daughter. My little brother got off lucky. He just had to play cricket with my father, but I got drafted into the kitchen as soon as I was tall enough to see the stovetop. She doesn't use measurements either. She would just add some spice and tell me, add the turmeric until it turns this color. As if, as if I could tell one shade of yellowish brown from another. But she always took special care with Sarsunda Sag and made sure to talk me through every step. Maybe she knew it was the thing I hated the most and that just through the act of cooking it, a love of this bubbling green muck would somehow seep into me. Instead, it just ended up being another way I disappointed her. We're from Punjab a province in the north of India. It's mostly farmland, the breadbasket of India. When spring comes to Punjab, the fields come alive with yellow mustard flowers. But to make sarsodasad, they lop off that pretty flower and use the remaining tough green stems and leaves. To begin, mix bitter mustard greens with spinach or fengeric leaves to mellow with strong flavor. Simmer the greens until soft to the tooth. Remove from heat and mash them with a wooden roller. I felt just like that most of the time. A big messy mashup of cultures. Not quite Punjabi, but not quite American either. Speak English at school, Punjabi at home. And never, ever let any of your friends come over when your mom's there. They see your mother dressed in a salwar kameez and speaking to you in some foreign language and suddenly you're as alien to them as she is. Next thing you know, you can hear them whispering and laughing at you behind your back. Then when I'm 10 years old, my mother finally decides we need to take a trip to India. Did I get to see the Taj Mahal or temples on the Ganges River or those desert castles that look so amazing in the movies? No, we went around Punjab from one farm to the other visiting family. They all expected me to be like them, somehow preserved as a perfect example of a Punjabi girl surrounded by all this American culture that had to be kept at arm's length. But I was an oddity they didn't understand. Someone who looked Punjabi but talked and ate and dressed and acted American. So in the States, everyone thought I was a foreigner pretending to be American. And in India, I was an American with the skin color of an Indian. How was I supposed to know who I was? Let the greens simmer and thicken while you prepare the spices. 
Heat clarified butter in a pan until it glistens and pops on contact with water droplets. And minced ginger and diced onions cook until the ginger dissolves and the onions turn transparent. Transparent. I felt like everyone could see through me. Bad enough being the only brown-skinned girl in my classes in the US. I couldn't even hide in the crowd in my home country. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. If you're from somewhere else, Indians can sense it. People stared at me when we were on the streets, wondering how my decent, modestly dressed Indian mother ended up with this odd girl in t-shirt and shorts. My aunts made comments to my mother when they thought I wasn't listening, blaming her for the insolent attitude. They said, I must have picked up watching too much American TV. The beggars always picked me out because they knew I was easy prey. My cousins were jealous of all my shiny American possessions, like my Walkman and the suitcase full of blue jeans. Blue jeans. Add big chunks of fresh tomatoes. Stir them steadily over medium heat until they break up into little pieces. We were touring the countryside of Punjab, all farmland and little villages. We stopped and visited some family for lunch. Everyone's talking about things that happened before I was born. All my uncles look identical. Punjabi men with bulging stomachs, turbans and beards that hide their facial features. I just said quietly, hoping nobody asked me any questions that might embarrass me or my mother. The food isn't much, but they've gone all out for us visitors. The pride of the meal is the sarsonda sag and makkedi roti. They make sure my mom and I get generous servings so they can shower their guests with their version of abundance. My mother whispers to me to hurry up and eat big, otherwise we're insulting them. So I stuff down one huge bite after another, just trying to let it slide past my tongue and down my throat as quickly as I can. The trick that all kids try out but never get down right. I'm doing fine for a while, then suddenly I'm not. It all comes out right there at the table. The same green muck spitting out as it is going in, my mother slaps me in front of everybody. I couldn't remember the last time she'd hit me. I run into another room and just hide there, my face pressed into sheets smelling of some foreign soap. My mother only comes and gets me when we're ready to go. On the ride out of the village, she says one thing to me. Just breathe, Kaur. You disgrace me. Yeah, in pretty much every culture, it's a bad thing when your mother uses your middle name. You cook the tomatoes until they separate and look like a heart broken up into little mashed up pieces. Finally, chop up some chilies and add them to the mix and simmer some more. You can't have Punjabi food without some heat. The chilies add fire, a kick that tastes that bites you back. 
I could have given in to my mother and tried to be the right kind of daughter, but now. She told me I was a disgrace. So I got on with it and kept on disgracing. I stopped using my real name, Jaspreet, and went by Jesse to everybody. I didn't go to medical school like they wanted. I got an art degree. Okay, maybe that one hurt me as much as it hurt my parents, but I didn't care. I didn't end up with a nice Indian boy. My boyfriend's American and he's got tattoos. We're moving in together. My mother's in complete denial. Disgrace? Yeah, I'll show you a disgrace. The taste of bitter greens, pungent, strong, stinking up the whole house, sticking in your teeth. But that's only half the meal. You always eat the greens with makkedi roti. Flat griddle cakes made with corn, thick, mealy, earthy, very Punjabi. To make makkedi roti, you start with cornmeal. Mix it with hot water with a wooden spoon and let it sit covered till it's cool enough to be touched. I give it time. I cool down. I look at things from a longer view. Not every minute I spent in Punjab was horrible. I remember some really graceful moments. Rare beauty. Simple pleasures. For the Diwali festival, everyone lined the streets with little clay oil lamps. We took long, languorous bus rides and I'd sit by the window watching the rain-slicked fields, all of the yellow mustard flowers in full bloom. On hot nights, we slept on the roof on cots, staring at the stars and lulled by cicada songs. Sometimes I sat in a circle with my aunts, learning beautifully melodic old folk songs and clapping in time. Punjabis are some of the warmest, most welcoming people you could meet, always ready to help, treating everyone like family, even me, someone who felt so remote from them. They did everything they could to bring me closer. I just, I just wish I didn't spend so much time resisting. Once the corn doughs cooled, you knead it for a few minutes. Break it into even portions, roll the pieces out, shape them with your hands, form them, sculpt each cake into a perfect little disc. So many things form you. Experiences, places, people, yes, even food. So much of what I am comes out of being Punjabi. I wasn't always happy knowing that. I tried to deny it, forget it, break away that huge piece of who I am. I behaved as unrooted as the Americans around me who had only the vaguest idea of where their ancestors came from. I actually said things like, chicken tikka masala, what's that? When I went to a club and the DJ mixed in some pangra for a little exotic touch, I was the last one on the dance floor. My friends and I got in a taxi once and when the Punjabi driver spoke to me in my native tongue, I acted like I couldn't speak a word and instead embarrassed the poor man and snickered at his turban with my friends. I tried to pretend it was all behind me.
I couldn't. Cook the corn patties on a cast iron griddle until they're just a little crisp, but still soft from the inside. Set them in a pile in the middle of the table and watch how just seeing them there warms everyone who sits down to eat. I have an easy time getting fixated on what I call the mustard greens incident. My mother was cold to me all the next day. But that night, the strangest thing happened. I didn't like Punjabi food, but I loved Indian sweets. My favorite is gulab jamun. They're like little donut holes dripping in syrup, which doesn't really capture the whole wonderful essence of these things. So, so sweet, they make your teeth hurt. But I couldn't get enough of them. And she never let me indulge too much. She figured if I couldn't appreciate the real food, why would she give me the pleasure of enjoying dessert? With gulab jamun, she always limited me to two, never more. But that night, after dinner, she brought me a plate with three pieces. I took my time with them, letting each bite fill my mouth with a rich, sticky sweetness, overpowering and intoxicating at the same time. The sensations we all want from a mother's love. When Punjabis talk to their children, they talk about expectations and disappointments. Expectations when they're young and disappointments as they age and fail to meet of all the impossible parental standards. A mother can never tell her daughter she actually understands what it's like to deal with demands you don't even really comprehend. Maybe she was reaching out to me with those sweets. I didn't accept. I didn't know how. As a final step, everything, the stewed greens and the corn cakes gets topped off with hot melted butter. For years, I thought nothing could melt my mother's heart. She seemed stern, uncompromising. Someone who just expected me to be who she wanted me to be. When she came to the US, she was younger than I am now. I'm sure she was scared and unsure of herself. In an arranged marriage with a man she didn't even know that well. And in a country that offered nothing but threats to everything she believed. Being how she was with me was probably her way of maintaining who she was in this strange place. She couldn't understand why I wanted to stray so far when she wanted me to stay so close. Maybe she still doesn't understand me. But I can try to understand her. Sarso dasag and makkidi roti. And you top it all off with melted butter. The bitter, green, spicy, and the warm, comforting buttery. I guess, really, it's a perfect combination. Mom, you want to skip that movie? Maybe we can just sit down and talk. 
and we can have some of your sarsonda saag and makke di roti here let me help i can melt the butter the child is the mother of the woman by judy class meg's room at rise meg sits on her bed trying to read a biology tome with mixed results there's a knock at her door come margaret enters with a tray of food meg barely looks up well i don't think it's healthy for you to have no nourishment at all if you send me to bed without any supper then stick to your guns be consistent i wish you wouldn't cast me as the heavy out to punish you isn't that what you're doing mother i think i told you at a very early age long before we discussed the peculiarities of our situation that i'd like you to think of me more as a friend or a sister than as a mother fine margaret whatever spare me meg yes margaret i wish you wouldn't address me that way how would you like me to address you mother do you want me to call you mom or do you want me to call you margaret make up your mind please I try to be very obedient to the wishes of my friends and my sister, especially when they send me to bed without any I just brought you some perfectly nice supper. You can call me whatever you like. I just wish whatever you choose, you wouldn't say it with so much venom in your voice. When you were little, you'd say mommy, and that sounded like friend, it sounded like sister. Aww. I'll try to sound more loving and sweet. Oh, for God's sake. Of course, your colleagues and patients at Biolabs call you doctor. And since I owe you more respect than anyone, since I need to be grateful to you for life itself, enough, enough? See if you can stop the flow of vinegar. Was there something else you wanted to speak to me about, doctor? Aren't you at least going to try? She indicates the food. Meg shakes her head. I think I'll enjoy this dinner in private. I'd rather hear if I've offended you in any other way. Or may I help you in some way? I just... Yes? I'm wondering if you understand why I got so upset down there. Why I sent you up here. Why you flipped out? Why I flipped out. Well, let's see. Was it because I wouldn't perform for your friends like a trained seal and recite all the clever things I'm learning and show off how precocious I am? It was because you play stupid, act rude, act hostile, and you do it all simply to embarrass me. God forbid you just be civil to people who have always been kind to you and taken an interest in you. Did you bewilder and offend them? Absolutely. And you don't care when you ruin their evening along with mine. You care about nothing but Meg, Meg, Meg. <gasps> Don't say my name three times like that, mother. It's redundant. There's only one of me, you know. Every individual is rare and incomparable and unique, like a snowflake. No, not every individual. Identical twins have the same DNA. They don't act like murders about it. They enjoy what they share for the most part, and they're still able to have separate identities and separate lives. Yes. It must be fun to have an identical twin sister permanent ally. Yes, someone who grows up with you 
makes discoveries alongside you, who doesn't know more than you or have any more power than you have, all right, who doesn't make choices for you, pave the way for you and send you scurrying off like a rat in a maze. Not true. None of your choices are predetermined. I have given you nothing but freedom and options. Oh, rat in a maze has lots of options, but only some of them lead to a prize. Spare me. There are children starving all over this planet. Do you know that? Children with real problems. Half the people on planet Earth have to drink water that isn't... So, no. Having a twin sister would not be like this. Hearing these lectures and being horrified to think what I might sound like someday. Having a twin wouldn't be like looking into a time portal funhouse mirror and seeing your future self and wanting to let out a scream. Then again, it must be kind of suffocating having a twin. Just two variations on a theme. There wouldn't be the distance, would there, that we have. Women of two different generations. Oh, you flatter me, Mom. I'm hardly a woman yet. Growing up in different households, different time and place, the fact that you and I, mother and daughter, sisters, whatever you want to call it, the fact that our life experiences are so different gives us greater distance, more room to be ourselves, and... Oh, but how can it, Mother? When I devoted my my childhood to being just like you. When I followed you around, wore the matching outfits you made, you wanted me to, you liked it. Absolutely, I copied you, played the games you told me you left as a child, I parroted your jokes, your opinions, as every child does, towering over Margaret. But not every child has taste so much in sync with her mommies as mine were. Not every child has only one wonderful adult to talk to and worship without even a father at home to complicate things, to get in the way of the teaching, the nurturing, the one-on-one and printing. Margaret stands hurt, confused, and very upset. You chose to spend time with me. You'd scream if anyone else came near you. You're pretending it was all me and you won't even admit to yourself how close we were, how much we loved each other. I intuited your every need. All the things that were explained badly to me, I could explain them properly to you. All the latent talents that were never nurtured in me, the interest in math and science and the natural world from the time I was a toddler. I've, yes, I've heard the self-pitying litany. The things that scared me, the things that hurt me, the things that were handled badly, I could make sure those things never happened to you. Everything I needed, you knew it in advance. You made sure I got it even before I knew I needed it. I tried to, and you saw my love for what it was. You were grateful for the love and the care and the pride I felt for you, the tremendous pride. Are you sure it wasn't just vanity, mother? Self-congratulation and I told you so, revisionism? No. Maybe, maybe there was some of that. Every parent feels that, of course. They see how their child resembles them. They congratulate themselves on their good genes and their good parenting every time their child succeeds. Of course, they do. But they don't get to congratulate themselves on a great feat of engineering, do they? Unless the experiment fails and the creature starts starts aging mega fast like that poor sheep. That will not happen. How do you know? Because I'm a responsible person. Because quite frankly... I'm better than the rest, and I made sure that you're fine. Keep telling yourself that I'm perfect. Hardly, but we won't discuss it anymore. Time will tell. 
The biggest difference I see is that most parents recognize that a daughter is herself, different, achieves some things herself, has qualities that the parent never anticipated. And it wasn't any different with you. Of course, honey, of course I give you credit for being yourself. But why should you? Because you're you. That's not what I was raised to be. If I'm me, then I've missed the whole point, haven't I? Margaret wanders around the room, begins to tidy it. She is tired and sad. I never should have told you. Or I should have waited. You waited long enough. I thought you could handle it. I didn't think you'd be swayed by the stupid superstitions in this idiot culture. The popular wisdom of righteous media morons. Even at your age, when... Everyone is swayed by groupthink. Everyone wants to be just like her peers, as bland and boring as possible. Oh, gee, even you, Mom, when you were my age? Margaret is picking up stuffed animals from the floor and putting them on the bed. She finds them distasteful. Yes, even me. Even I wasted years trying to be nondescript. I listened to my parents and my teachers and tried to become... Just another passive, decorative little, turn off the flow of vinegar, why don't you? But with your splendid mind and the bond there is between us, I thought you could rise above it. I thought I could make you understand. And I was tired of lying to you and your questions about your father. After a lifetime of lies, after not simply introducing grandpa as your father and mine, both I thought You could look beyond the stupid stereotypes, the blathering of religious nuts and the bad SF films and understand, stop tidying my room. Take everything you just moved, everything you just tampered with and put it back where it was. Why should you want to live in a pigsty? Because it's my room. You used to like your space neat and clean. I know, like you. But now I don't devote every minute of every day to, in, to imitating you. And stop handling my stuffed animals like you're going to rip their heads off. Aren't you a bit old to suddenly start acquiring new stuffed animals? Like a three-year-old? I think they're cute. I'm taking a break from the chilly antiseptic decor of the rest of the house. Call it redecorating. I can't help it if Dr. Mom doesn't approve. And if you spend all your time reacting against me, Is that any better? If you spend the rest of your life pretending to like sloth and filth and cuteness and frills when you're mature and when you're a mature, punctual, polite, neat person by nature, don't tell me what my nature is. Will you be any better than any other poor, rebellious fool who wastes her life trying to be what her parents told her not to be? Oh, like you? Like who? Like you? Going into science because grandma and grandpa didn't want you to? It wasn't ladylike, you weren't smarter than, you were smarter than they were. It was my calling and I answered it. You liked to intimidate them, humiliate them in conversation. You enjoyed making them think I was a love child. You enjoyed secretly having me the way you did to flout their religion, their God. God forbid you should be conventional, obey the law, have a moral, have a normal family, take the normal chances with the child who was a normal, unpredictable, mongrel mix of genes. 
My choices are not all negative reactions to my parents. I tried to transcend what they were doing to me. Oh, for God's sake. What were they doing to you? Choking me, holding me back. Ah, uh, but it could have been worse. Think of all the kids who have sewage in their drinking water. Yes, it could have been worse. There were kind, dull people who meant well, but they were putting me in a box. And what do you think you're doing to me? I'm trying to give you the world, all the possibilities that I never had. The possibilities to advance in science that much farther than you ever did, if that's what you want. Me, as if I have a choice. I can't help it if you're brilliantly gifted. Help it, you shaped me for nothing but this. Every game, every preschool lesson, I know it's normal for someone your age to strike out on her own, to get some distance from, don't you tell me what people my age do. Don't you tell me what you would do or did in my situation. You know nothing about me. Do you understand? I, nothing, I am nothing like you, Dr. Frankenstein. Oh, for God's sake, nothing. You are a person and I am a laboratory experiment and therefore we have nothing in common and nothing you say about normal kids or how you used to feel has any relevance or bearing on my situation. Most children are the product of an act of love. Yes, you included. And I am the product of a colossal act of masturbation. And so you don't know who I am at any age. I know if I tell you how much I was like this, you won't believe me. How my poor parents would, you made their lives hell. How I want to call them up and apologize every time you're rude to me. Say, I'm sorry, I had no idea how much it hurts. I had no idea how judgmental and harsh I was, thinking I was just being honest and standing up for my rights. Why don't you? Why don't you call them and explain everything and beg for forgiveness? I've thought about it, but it would only hurt them. If I told them everything, they're old and they're tired and I make their hearts ache, whatever I say. They've accepted you on the terms I set out and we'd better leave it at that. Better a bastard for a granddaughter than a freak, right? They love you very much. They feel so much closer to you than they could ever be to me. It's funny because you came out of that dream I had when I was small of how much better I'd be with a kid. My revenge on them would be something positive. It would never be talking down to the kid, never dismissing her questions, never telling a daughter to be ladylike and dull. My revenge would be to be the best mother ever. And instead you find that I'd rather spend time with them these days than with you. Yes, but as I say, perhaps I have it coming. Why shouldn't I get to know my biological parents, get past the negative hype I've always heard about them? So long as you don't hurt them by telling them, I don't see the harm. I don't tell them. I've learned at the feet of a championship liar. I'm sorry, mama that I didn't turn out to be the perfect imaginary friend you dreamed of when you were little, pretending your dolls were scientists and explorers and being so free and creative and alternative. Maybe I will just give them that apology though. 
Not in context, no bombshell revelations about you. Just, now that I'm the mother of a teenager myself, I'm sorry. I understand what I put them through. If it hurt them this badly, the way you're hurting me now, I can never apologize enough. Hmm. But still, you should give it a shot, huh? But they won't believe you're like this. You're so sweet to them. So maybe Frankenstein's monster is more cunning and diabolical than her creator. Or then again, I was never vicious to my own grandparents. They had no idea what I was like. Up yours, bitch. I am not you. Peering at her. If I could understand the depth of your hatred, if you could give me a rational reason, even one. It's not about anything intellectual or rational. The monster just hates because she hates. In a world this beautiful, when you are so beautiful, when you have so much to be thankful for, was what was it people your age used to say? Mother, did they shout through the slamming door, I didn't ask to be born. Well, let me modify that. A slight variation on a theme. Guess what? I didn't ask to be cloned. I never should have told you. It's swallowed your love. It's poisoned every... You never should have not told me. You never should have kept it hidden. All those years, we were so close. Finishing each other's sentences. Yes, and you were hiding that from me. Never letting me see the danger of, of copying your... You are you, and I love you. Sometimes... When you're not hating me, resenting me for the opportunities you never had, for being young when you're getting older, for all the opportunities they denied you, right? Don't try to hide it. I can read you better than anyone. And you're looking at me right now, thinking what an ungrateful, spoiled, pampered little bitch I am. I'm afraid the word is spoiled, is apt. I'm afraid, and... That virtuous revenge on your parents doesn't taste so sweet anymore, does it? Now that I actually have the grades, the scholarship opportunities, the confidence, the science skills you wanted, so early in life, so quick, living vicariously through me isn't quite as pleasurable as you thought. Trying to experience every emotion and first-time discovery, I'm not doing that. And drain me of everything, trying to control me every step of the way so I never become different from you. God forbid I should like stuffed animals when you don't. God forbid I don't clean my room. How risky, how difficult it would have been to raise a real child, a surprise child. I told you, I couldn't, I couldn't. I waited too long and then it wasn't possible. Then why not adopt, huh? And a country full of unwanted, unplanned children, born to idiots. I had good genes. I had potential that was never realized. I felt entitled to one, just one child of my own. And if you think you haven't been surprising and challenging and delightful and horrible and eye-opening, if you think that every child isn't a revelation and a mystery, then you're pretending to be a lot dumber than I know you to be. And am I jealous of your youth sometimes? Yeah, sure, like any mom. And do I want you to be like me? Yes, like any mom. And do I have to learn to let go? Yes, yes, of course I do. And if I let you go and you go free and become 
some things in reaction to me and become some things that are in you that I can't even understand or know about because you are you. I hope someday you will know how much I love you. I know it and it's suffocating me. And maybe it will go on like this for a long time until you are off on your own and you feel strong enough and sure enough of who you are to let me back in. I know it seems impossible to you now because you hate me so much because my mistakes are so unforgivable. I know that. Again, and tears are near it. There's only one thing that gives me hope that maybe you'll bend a little someday. What gives me hope is the fact that I was once so bitter, but right now I'm going into the other room to call my folks and apologize and tell them how much I love them, sweetie, the way I love you. She moves toward Meg, who takes a step away. Very sad, Margaret stares at her for a moment, arms open, and then turns and leaves. Meg hugs herself, upset. Off stage, a phone rings on speakerphone, and an older woman says, Hello? Margaret stays off stage and Meg on stage, as if in response to the person on the phone. Margaret and Meg at the same time. Mom? Lights down. End of play.